So have you ever been in the middle of a conversation on your phone and at some point it becomes evident to you that the call was dropped and you've been talking to yourself for an unspecified amount of time? I think some of my best ideas that I've ever had have come in these moments and then it's gone, right? It's gone forever and you never quite say it that way again. Maybe you've been in that experience or maybe this hasn't even happened on a cell phone. Maybe you've shared or explained something pretty important to someone in person and you get that look on their face where it's like, you're not listening anymore, are you? And something you said triggered something they were thinking about and sent their mind down a different path. I was brave or foolish enough, you can decide, to share this little moment on social media a couple of years ago. I said, Heather, my wife, just stopped and said, you weren't even listening, were you? And I thought that was a very strange way to start a conversation, right? So maybe you've been there and maybe you can relate to that. As we welcome our children uh, from Kids Way in this morning and have all of our families sitting together, it is Generation Sunday as... Uh, Pastor Sandy mentioned, and there is a unique opportunity today to celebrate one of our core values of leaving a legacy of faith as we desire to be and increasingly become a family of families. Now you have opportunity to get down on a child's level and to greet them by name and introduce yourself to them. So I want to encourage everybody to do that with at least one person. You just go up to them like this. You say, hi, my name is Mark. It's nice to meet you. And it's that simple. And then you can do that next week as well, even without the name tag, that conversation still works. Um, So we're in a series on prayer, and we're asking that question, can you hear me now? And yes, there are those humorous moments where our mind drifts or, or where the call gets dropped. Aren't you thankful that the call never gets dropped with God? Aren't you thankful that God's mind never drifts? And yet, if we're honest, there's another set of questions we can ask. We can say, have you ever tried to pray and felt like you were the only person in the room? Like you couldn't focus, your thoughts wouldn't come together, felt totally alone, like God was silent or absent. I can be honest and say that's happened to me a number of times, even for whole seasons where it felt like no one else was listening Like I was just talking to myself. Or maybe you've even begged God for something that you were just sure had to be His will and not received what you prayed for. As we move through this series, Can You Hear Me Now? We're asking that question not only from God to us, which was our subject today, which is our subject today, but last week we looked at this from our perspective. My God, can you hear me? I'm getting these mixed up. I apologize. Today is my God, can you hear me? Last week was my child, can you hear me? Last week we looked at this from God's perspective. And we asked that question of him to us. My child, can you hear me? And we looked at this idea that God is always speaking, but we are not always listening, if we're honest. Sometimes we're not listening because we're angry or frustrated and we're refusing to listen we're refusing to open the bible we're refusing to go to god in prayer we're refusing to join the fellowship of believers and hear what god might say to us through them but other times 
We're just distracted. We allow too many things to divide our attention. However, we landed the plane last week with this idea that we are always blessed when we listen and obey. We are always blessed when we go to God in prayer, when we look to Him in His Word, when we experience fellowship with other believers, when we go out into nature and experience God speaking to us through the beauty of His created world. And so last week at the end of the message, I encourage you to try something new in your prayer life. If you're in one of those ruts where you always do the same thing and it feels a little stale, sometimes the best thing you can do is mix it up a little bit. Go for a longer prayer walk with nothing in your ears and just communicate with God the whole time or get out a journal if you don't normally journal and prayer or have a prayer meeting where you take turns praying out loud with somebody else. All in all, we're seeking to increase our communication with God. That's our goal in this series, this five-week series titled, Can You Hear Me Now? We want to increase our connection with God because prayer is ultimately communication between us and God, and it is a two-way street. And so whether we are young or much older, we can communicate with God. He can speak to us, and we can speak to Him. And last week, we defined prayer as conversation between us and God, about matters of mutual significance. So something that's significant to you, God wants to hear about that. He wants to share things that are significant from his perspective with us. And he has done that through his word and through each other. And so throughout the series, you're going to have opportunities to take a step in prayer, to try something, to experience something. In a couple of weeks, we'll have our 24 hours of prayer. And this is a great opportunity for you to set aside some time to connect with God, to communicate with God through prayer. We do this on November 11th and 12th, starting at 5 p.m. on Friday and going till 5 p.m. on Saturday. You can come to the sanctuary for a half hour, an hour longer. We have some people that come for several hours. Move about. You don't have to sit down with your head bowed and your eyes closed, your hands folded the whole time. You can sit at a table. You can journal. You can pray out loud. You can move around. You can light a candle. There's just all kinds of ways for you to engage and connect with God. So I'd encourage you to sign up for that. There's a QR code on the screen that will take you to a registration page. There's also links in our digital bulletin and in our events page in our app. For those of you joining us online, there is opportunity for you to participate in this as well. Last time that we did the 24 hours of prayer, we actually had somebody register and pick a time slot to join us and pray where they are. Because we have people that watch our service from all around the country and even around the world. And so you could sign up for a time and even send an email to office at linwoodchurch.org and we will send you the materials. Because we don't just expect you to figure it out. We give you materials when you come to the 24 hours of prayer that can help you spend an hour in prayer. That can give you prayer requests from our congregation. That can give you topics to guide you through that time together. So that's the 24 hours of prayer. We'll keep talking about that. Encourage you to sign up for that. But there's also one that happens every Sunday morning at 1010. We call this the take 10 at 1010. Right between the two services at 1010, there's a group of people. Sometimes it's two or three. Sometimes it's more. We were recently at a leadership retreat with our local board of administration. And one person said, I just dream of a day when there's like 20 people and we got to bring more chairs into that time between services that people are hungry to pray for our church, to pray for their needs, to pray for the needs of those that they love, to pray for all kinds of things, or just to spend a quiet moment in prayer with God. So that happens every Sunday morning in our chapel down off the south lobby. You can drop in, you can drop out, you can speak a prayer, you can 
just pray quietly the whole time. In fact, I mentioned this in the first service, and there was quite an increase in the take 10 at 10, 10 this week. So next week, you guys could all come like 20 minutes early and go down to the chapel, and we could share in that time of prayer together. Today, we are going to ask that question of God. Can you hear me now? My God, can you hear me? As if we were asking that question to God, and that brings up several questions that you might have asked before or might be on your mind today. Like, can we know that God hears us? How can we know that? Can we know that God hears us even when he feels distant or absent? And what role do our feelings or our emotions or our ability to perceive, what role do those play in whether or not God can hear us? And is there something that we can do when we feel nothing or when we hear nothing? That's one of the questions that I get as a pastor often about prayer. It's like, what do I do when I, I don't feel God's presence or I don't think he hears me or I don't hear anything in response? So we're going to engage those questions today. And I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 is way at the end of your Bible, all the way to Revelation, and then just back up a few pages, and you'll be in 1 John chapter 5. We're not talking about the Gospel of John chapter 5. We're talking about the letter, 1 John, that he wrote to Christians around the world to encourage them, to instruct them. And this passage, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, comes at a section that is titled in a lot of Bibles as concluding remarks or final instructions, something along those lines. And he's giving them some parting shots, some final tidbits of wisdom. And in just these eight or nine verses, the word know appears in your Bible seven times. And most scholars agree that that's intentional that the number seven was the Hebrew number for completion or wholeness or perfection. John uses the number seven in his gospel when he records seven miracles of Jesus, when he records seven I am statements of Jesus. And so we feel like this is intentional. There's some things that John wants us to know as believers. And so that is what we see in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, that John has a specific purpose and he's sharing his purpose here at the end of the letter. Like if you're curious about why I said certain things, one of my main purposes in writing this letter was that you who believe in the Son of God, who have put faith in Jesus, who are trusting Jesus for salvation, that's his audience, that you would know And the word that he uses for know there has to do with sight, that you would see, that you would perceive as if it is real. Move beyond just faith into knowing, seeing that Jesus is the Son of God. Therefore, you have eternal life in him. To know that we have eternal life is very important. He wants us to have assurance of our salvation so that we are not spending a lot of time wondering do we really have eternal life. This is a subject that John writes about a lot. In John chapter 3, back in the gospel of John, he says one of the most famous statements in all of literature, in all of written word, all around the world in all time. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So he's connecting faith to eternal life. And then at the end of his gospel, he says something very similar to this passage. He says, I write these things so that you will know. You will know. He wants us to know. He wants us to move beyond just faith to certainty 
to confidence and assurance of our salvation. So that's sort of the first thing. And then it moves really quickly to prayer. I think he recognized how important prayer was and how essential prayer was. So in verse 14, he moves to prayer, and he moves to the prayer that this faith enables, that there is a prayer of faith. Once we are assured of our salvation, he wants us to be confident that God hears us. And so in verse 14, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, that God is always listening, that he's not limited in his capacity or his desire to communicate with us. He doesn't have a really long day and just run out of attention for us. He doesn't get to a point where he says, you know what? I just got a timeout. I'm done. I can't hear another prayer. God never says that. He never has no desire to hear what we have to say. He always welcomes our prayers. He always wants to hear from us. He's always listening. The only limitation comes in our capacity or our desire. Sometimes our desire ebbs and flows. Sometimes our capacity to pour our hearts to God ebbs and flows when we become weary or we become tired or distracted as we've talked about before. Last week, we looked at a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, and there's this beautiful verse right in the middle of the passage that we looked at. And Isaiah is writing to the nation of Israel, and he says, how gracious he, how gracious God will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. And just like Isaiah, John wanted believers to know that God hears us when we pray. He hears us. But perhaps your mind is focusing on that little phrase in the middle, to ask God according to his will, right? When this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I want to explain that to you because you might think, oh, maybe we got to somehow figure out what God's will is and then ask for that. Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of prayer? And fortunately, the English Standard Version Study Bible addresses this specifically, and it says to ask God according to his will does not mean that before Christians can pray effectively, they need to somehow discover God's secret plans for the future. Rather, it means that they should ask according to what the Bible teaches about God's will for his people. Sometimes this is called his revealed will, that he has revealed his will to us through Scripture, that Jesus taught about prayer. And when he taught his disciples how to pray, the prayer that we prayed this morning, known as the Lord's Prayer, how does that begin? That we should ask God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're encouraged to pray for God's will to be done in our lives, in our world, that heaven would invade earth through us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Paul spoke in Romans chapter 2 when he said, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That as our minds are transformed through the word, through prayer, through following God's will for our lives as revealed in Scripture, then we will know that that will that he has for us is good and pleasing and perfect. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes about the will of God as well. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, he says very clearly that God's will is that we would be sanctified, that we would pursue holiness, that we would pursue Christ-likeness. To be holy or to be sanctified really just means that we would be set apart for God, set apart for his purposes, that we're not following our own will for, in, in the world, but that we're following God's will 
for our lives. We're seeking that. We're seeking to not do the things that he told us not to do and to do the things that he told us to do. And then at the end of 1 Thessalonians in 5.18, he tells us that there's one thing that's always God's will for us, and that's gratitude. He says that give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That, that we would give thanks, that we would be grateful, that we would celebrate the good news of the gospel in every circumstance. Even when we're down, even when we're grieving, even when we're suffering, we can give thanks to God for the good news of the gospel that we are loved and accepted because of what Jesus has done for us, that we can spend eternity in heaven with him. This is good news, and this is praying according to God's will. And he says in verse 15, as he concludes this passage, he says, and we know, if we know that he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, this one might even be like, wait, wait a minute, I asked for this, and I didn't get it. So how does that line up with 1 John chapter 5, 15? I've got a problem here. Well, to know that he hears us in whatever we ask is the first thing that he says. To rem- be reminded that God hears us in whatever we ask is enough. Because communion with God is the goal of prayer. Communion with God is the goal of prayer. And when I read that, in my study Bible, I thought, you know, that, we just make it so complicated sometimes. But it really is that simple. That the, the goal of prayer is communion with God. And communion, just like prayer is more than heads down, hands folded, eyes closed. Communion is more than juice and bread on the first Sunday of the month. Communion goes way beyond that. Communion is oneness or common union. That God wants us to experience union with him. God wants us to experience oneness with him. To know that he loves us, that he is with us, that he is for us. To know that he has a will for us and a desire for us. And so when communion with God is the reason that we're praying, then we're less concerned with the outcomes of our prayer. We're less concerned with whether or not we get the thing we asked for. Because what we're really seeking is communion with God. And we experience that through prayer. And I would even say that it's often what we perceive as silence or absence of God is when we grow the most, that our hunger and thirst for God grows when the thing that we wanted him to give us doesn't come. And if we can trust him and accept his will when it differs from our own, then our communion with him can grow. That when we can trust God and say, I trust you, I trust your goodness, I trust your sovereignty, I trust that you are good and that you love me and that you want me to grow in my relationship with you, then our communion with him can grow. But before we move on from here, I want you to rest assured. He's always listening. He always hears. You haven't disqualified yourself. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't neglected you. He has not betrayed you. He is with you. And when we Know that we have what we've asked of him, as John says in verse 15. When we know that we have what we've asked of him, we know that doesn't mean that we got every little thing that we asked of him, but if we're seeking communion with God, then through prayer, we can know that we have what we most need. Human experience testifies that Christians do not always receive everything they ask from God even things that seemingly are in accordance with his will. So this verse has to be understood in light of other passages of Scripture which show that praying according to God's will 
includes the need to pray in faith, to pray with patience, in obedience, and in submission to his greater wisdom. So when we connect verse 15 to verse 14, and we connect with praying in accordance to God's will, to understanding that God's will would include the need to pray in faith, with patience, in obedience, and in submission to his greater wisdom. Now we're really getting somewhere. And I think the most important of those things would be the submission to his greater wisdom. To recognize that our wisdom, our understanding, our experience is so limited compared to God's, which is unlimited. That what we think is good and right is very limited in comparison to what God knows is good and right. And so when we submit to his will, his greater wisdom, and we remember that, yes, he is sovereign. And sometimes we confuse God's sovereignty with what we want him to do for us. And so we say, you're sovereign, and so do this for me in your sovereignty. And we forget that in his sovereignty, God allows for human free will. It's under, our human free will is under God's sovereignty. So he is still sovereign over all, and in his sovereignty, he allows humans to choose. And he does this for a couple of really important reasons, and this is a little philosophical, but there's no love if there's no choice. And so God knows that we were created to love, and there's no love if there's no choice. So that's why there's free will. And there are a lot of other really good reasons for free will, but we remember that God is sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and it's within that sovereignty that he allows for human free will. And unfortunately, we've just made such a mess of things with this. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, human free will has been fallen. And we have not always chosen the right or the better or the best. Yet God promises, he promises that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He promises that in Romans eight twenty eight, And that's one that you should have several places in your life that you will see it on a regular basis, especially if you struggle with with God's sovereignty, that he is going to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I wish it said this week at the end of that verse, I wish it said God is going to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and he's going to do it this week. It'll happen by Sunday. I wish it said that. It doesn't say that. And for many of us, it may not happen until heaven. But man, heaven is going to be really, really good. And this can be really, really good forever. And we forget that sometimes because of how hard it is right now. But if we can remember, he's going to work it all together for good. And then we will spend eternity with him where there is joy unspeakable and full of glory, where there are no tears and there is no sorrow and there is no pain. That can give us the ability to endure. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? What do we do between now and heaven? When all evidence seems to be in the contrary at times, when God seems silent or absent, we go through seasons where we're on the mountaintop and we go through seasons where we feel like we're in the valley. And I think there's a short answer, and that short answer is we keep waiting, we keep praying, we keep seeking communion with God, we keep seeking a closer walk with Him. And sometimes it is suffering and grief and sorrow and discouragement that brings us closer to God than anything else. And we can look to Jesus as Hebrews encourages us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? 
You need look no farther than the last couple of chapters of the Gospels to see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing that the cup would not pass from him, knowing that he was going to have to go to the cross, that he was going to have to drink the cup of God's wrath. And he prays in the garden three times, God, if there is any way that this cup can pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He prayed in submission to God's greater wisdom, to God's greater purpose. He kept praying. He encouraged his disciples to keep praying. He asked the question anyway. He continued the communication with God anyway and surrendered his will to the will of God. And then just a few hours later on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taking the punishment for our sin, knowing that God would forsake him in that moment, that he couldn't stand the sight of it, the sight of all the sin of the world heaped upon the perfect Lamb of God. He cries out, my God, my God. He's still addressing him as God. He's still crying out to him, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus was forsaken for us. And he promised that we would never be forsaken because he was forsaken for us. So we can look to Jesus, we can keep waiting, we can keep praying. As he says in John, we can keep knocking, we can keep seeking. But we can also take a cue from some, some of these normal fallen humans that wrote some scripture. Let Psalm, Psalm 10 and Psalm 13 give us some wonderful insight into what we can do when we feel like God is silent. Because the psalmists experienced that. Psalm 10, written by David, says, Why, O Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself In times of trouble, David experienced those seasons, those dark nights of the soul. But by the end of that psalm, in verse 17 and 18, he's saying, You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. David prayed through the questions, prayed through wondering where God was and why he seemed so absent and so distant. He did the same thing in Psalm 13. He opened Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Have you ever felt the way that David feels there? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever felt forgotten or abandoned by God? And yet just a few verses later, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. These are great examples from David of praying through, praying through the valley and reminding us and affirming our faith of what we know to be true, whether we feel it or not. And this isn't unique to David. If you want to jot down Psalm Uh, Psalm 79, where Asaph prays a similar prayer that opens with wondering where in the world God is and concludes with praise and affirmation of who God is. Or Psalm 89, where Ethan does the same thing. These are great examples for us. And, And it's a great reminder for me to call our worship team to come up as we prepare to close that that we can worship through those moments, that we can worship through the feelings that maybe God is not with us. That he encourages us to do that and that scripture sets the example for us because ultimately communion with God is the goal of prayer. 
communion with God. And when we seek communion with God, we will find it. He has promised in Jeremiah 31 that when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And the last thing I'll say about God seeming distant at times, and I mentioned this earlier, but Jesus settled that once and for all. In Matthew 28, 20, as he sends us into the world with the Great Commission, as he tells us to go into all the world and to make disciples and to teach them to obey, he said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Behold, I am with you always, even when you feel nothing. Behold, I am with you always, even when you do not hear the answer you are looking for. Behold, I am with you always, even in grief, even in cancer, even in financial troubles, even in relationship troubles. I am with you always. And he is always listening. And we can always cry out to him and know that he hears us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the promises of Scripture that we have. We pray that you will sow them deep into our hearts, that you will remind us often that you are with us, that you are for us, that whether we can feel or sense your presence, you are there. Help us to look to you crying out on the cross or sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and draw encouragement and strength. Help us to join with the psalmists and to cry out to you and affirm what we know to be true from your word. Lord, help us to remember in the valley what we learn in the mountaintops. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.